Uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. We wrapped up our series on God's presence through every stage of life, kind of looking at how he's present with us. And the, the Christmas story is not a one-off event, but it's a part of God's overall plan that reaches from past history into future history. And God is present with us. We're going to be starting the book of Colossians next, but in, the, in between, we have the opportunity to kind of talk about uh, the idea of loving one another. And so we're in 1 John chapter 4. As we get started, let me just ask the question, how many parents have observed that the struggles with sin that we see in the lives of our kids are sadly the same struggles that we still have as adults? Am I the only parent who's observed this? All right, I'm not alone. Now, hopefully, as adults, we've learned to control ourselves a little bit better than when we were kids. But I've really come to realize in being a parent that the struggles I see in my kids are still present in my own life just in a grown-up way. And I can't tell you how many fights and arguments have started because my boys have a Lego that the other one wants. It's a Lego guy, a certain Lego piece, and, and of the literally thousands of Legos, there's one that is just, it just can't be replicated. For some reason, Lego made one of this part. It's the only one. And so instead of sharing with one another, they'll fight over it. Of course, they'll just argue and they'll bicker and they'll exhibit selfishness leading to fights. And if you don't think that that same struggle doesn't exist within us as adults, you're not paying attention, sadly. And it may not be Legos that we fight over anymore, but now it's the promotion at work. I can't believe that they got that instead of me. Maybe it's a husband and wife not really wanting to give in. Who gets some time off from kid duty? Like, you had it the last two times, right? It's my turn, right? And we, we don't want to put the other first. It could even be big stuff like deciding how uh, adult siblings care for aging parents or later how an estate is settled out. And we're selfish in those contexts in little ways and big ways. We as adults still wrestle with the same things that we see our kids wrestling with. Those struggles with sin that we exhibit as kids sadly stay with us for the rest of our lives. It's the same sin, just in a different context. But thankfully, the answer stays the same, whether we're children or adults as well. In the same way that I can't count how many arguments my kids have had, I can't count how many times the answer has simply been, treat them the way that you want them to treat you. Literally, while I was typing that sentence into my notes, I had to get up from the computer, walk over to where the boys were at, and tell them this again. Just treat your brother the way you want him to treat you. And it's so simple, right? When you say it that way, it seems so simple and so obvious. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. Or to say it as we see it in the Bible, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is just as true and just as hard when we're adults as when we're children. How many arguments between husbands and wives could be avoided if we just put the other first? How many times could we not boil over at the stoplight if we gave the preference to the other person like we hope they give to us? Okay, the light has been green for 30 microseconds. How come you haven't responded? And we you know, want to be on the horn for them, but when we're the ones who are caught changing the radio station or whatever, we want grace extended to us. Treat them 
the way that we want to be treated? What would our work relationships look like if we loved our neighbor as ourself? So this morning, we're going to spend our time looking at the second greatest commandment in all of existence. When tested by the Pharisees, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is telling us these two commandments are so much more than some esoteric religious legal argument, uh, only, you know, meaningful to those who live in an ivory tower. They're more than deep-cut Bible references or trivia question answers. These two commandments are massive. They're the end-all, be-all. They're to shape our entire lives, all of who we are. Every single detail about who we are is to be shaped by these two things, loving God and loving one another. We're to love God with all that we are, this living, vibrant, life-shaping love between us and Him. It's to be a a, a relational love, a, a personal love, a growing love that we have towards God. Loving God is all that we are. It's our beginning, our end. It's our end all and be all. Now, even as an aside, aren't you amazed or even humbled that what God asks of us is to love him? Ever stop and think about that for a moment, that God's greatest commandment to us is to love him? He could have asked us any number of things, impossible things. Climb Mount Everest, and when you get to the top, then you'll be close to me. Crawl on your hands and knees to Jerusalem and, and you know, perform these religious rites. God could have asked anything of us, but what he demands and requests of us is that we would love him. We have a relationship with him. It's an incredible thing. It opens our eyes to this nature of who God is. It tells us so much about the God who created us that what he demands and commands us to do is that we love him. And so the first thing that's true about us is to be our love for him. And then secondly, we're to love one another. These are the two greatest commandments in all of existence. They shape everything. And so if you're not already in 1 John chapter 4, let's turn there and see how this idea is laid out for us. We're going to pick up in verse 7, read through the end of the chapter, and then see how the Lord might speak to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that, excuse me, and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I sense in this passage, as in truly all of Scripture, you're pleading your heart to us. Here it seems that we're striking to the core of who you are, that this is an essential part of your character, that you're one who loves. And having been created in your image, we're made to be those who love. And so help us hear that and receive it and truly let it shape who we are, not just today, but throughout this year and not just this calendar year, but for our entire lives, that we be people who receive your love, who rest in it, and share it with the world around us. So help us hear your heart this morning. By your spirit, would you speak to us, each individually, right where we're at? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, having read through our passage this morning, it's kind of clear to see the different themes that John has in mind. In fact, this theme of Loving one another is a major part of this book, of this letter of John's. In fact, this isn't the first time that he's brought up the idea in this letter. And as he reintroduces it here in chapter 4, he refers to us, his readers, as beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, in the Greek, this is such a cool play on words that's happening here. And it's there in our English translations as well. But if you're like me, you can easily blow past it. Uh, Think about the word for a second, beloved. Beloved, it means those who are loved. They're beloved. So to rephrase the opening line of verse 7, John is actually saying, those who are loved love one another. Just stop and kind of rephrase that in your mind. Restate that in your mind as you read verse 7. Instead of, beloved, let us love one another. Those who are loved, love one another. This is a wonderful thing about the second great commandment. It doesn't exist within a vacuum all on its own. Rather, we're called to love one another because God loves us. We're called to love each other because we're the recipients of God's love toward us. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love for us is the motivation and imperative for loving one another. This morning, the goal I have in mind for our study is to remember that loving one another can and should shape this upcoming year. But in order to do that, before we take that step, we need to remember that God has richly loved us. Again, look at verses 8 through 10. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we're not letting the commandment to love one another shape our lives, it's probably because we're missing how much God loves us. If we don't share love with those around us, it could possibly be related to the fact that we don't understand how richly God has loved us, how selflessly, how deeply God has loved us. And this morning, I want to stop before we even talk about how we're to reach out and love one another, to stop and just remember the fact that God loves us. Stop and remember God's great love for you this morning. That while we were still sinners, enemies of God, dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus died for us, for you specifically. We were like sheep, having gone astray, having left our good shepherd, thankless and loveless. We despised the only good in this world. We rejected him. We turned away from him, each one of us following the sin-born desires of our darkened hearts. That's who we are apart from him. And yet Jesus, because of his great love for us, drank the cup of the Father's wrath against sin. He embraced this hard task on our behalf. The Bible says that he bore our griefs and carried our sins. He was oppressed and afflicted for our benefit. The Lamb of God without sin was silently led to slaughter for us. And even though he had done no wrong, he was nailed to a Roman cross, an instrument of death not fit even for the wicked. And the ugliness and the shame of the cross was heaped upon him, and he endured it for our benefit, for your benefit this morning. The full weight of our sin, the full weight of it, every last thought, every last action, every last word that we've committed against God and against others was placed on him. He embraced it. He who knew no sin became our sin to demonstrate beyond a doubt his surpassing love for you, specifically Not just because you're part of the group and he loves the whole group, but you're just a a nameless face in the crowd, but you specifically, he knows you. And on the cross, he embraced your sin and mine specifically. It wasn't lost in the crowd. It wasn't lost in the overwhelming flood of humanity's sin. He knew ours specifically, and he embraced it out of his love for us. And when we stop and let God's boundless love really soak into who we are and just stop for a moment in our hectic day-to-day pace and let the love of God soak into our hearts and minds. It should amaze us. It should even overpower us, just kind of sinking under the weight of it. Not a bad, heavy, crushing weight, but a heaviness to a love that's so good. How often do you and I stop And let the love of God filter into our thinking. When was the last time we put down our phones or stopped for a minute and just let God's love settle into us? The busyness of any season, not just the Christmas season, any season, we're always occupied by this, that, and the other. When is the last time we just put down our to-do list 
And just remember that God loves us deeply, richly, relationally, passionately. I don't know every story here in the room. I don't know what you're going through, how close you feel to God's love this morning or how distant from it you may feel, but I know that he has a love for you that passes your ability to comprehend it. None of us are able to wrap our arms around the depths of God's love and fully say, I own this. I get it. I see it from end to end, from beginning to end. I see the extent of God's love. No matter who you are or what you're going through or what you've done, God loves you and has proven his love to you specifically beyond a shadow of a doubt. He gave his only begotten son so that you might experience life and love through him and with him. So every one of us in the room this morning can own the words of the children's song, I am so glad Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves even me. Everyone can say that this morning in the room, even me. And so as we see here in verses uh, 7 through uh, 11, it's because of this great love that we can love one another. Because God has loved us, we can then share that love with the people around us. These are the two ideas that God loves us, that we then love one another, that John is weaving together and folding over one another throughout these verses. As we know God and learn of his measureless love for us, we realize that we're then to love others. We realize first that we didn't love him, we didn't initiate that relationship, he initiated And therefore, as his love flows into us, it can then flow out of us. The more that we settle into his love for us, the more that it translates into love for one another. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, as we move into verse 12, John kind of seems to shift with a very interesting idea. He says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. When John talks about love, he's not referring to warm, fuzzy feelings that we have towards one another. Now, I will say it's wonderful that a fully developed, fully kind of orbed love has an emotional component to it. But love, let's not mistake it, has, is so much more than emotion. Love is a choice. True love uh, involves our will. It involves our actions. Or as we see here in verse 10, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us and that love turned into action. Classically, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he uh, felt warm, fuzzy feelings. Sure, yes, but it doesn't stop there. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God's love for us, our love for him, and our love for one another, it always translates into action. And so as John transitions into verse 12 here, he says, no one has seen God, but that doesn't mean he can't be seen. He's seen by the love that we express for one another. He's seen by the love that we express for one another. This same idea is actually found in John's gospel. Because in John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, no one has seen God at any time. The same thing that he says here. 
But then he says, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, the very heart of God the Father, has declared him. He's made God known to us through seeing Jesus. And then to back up a few verses in that chapter, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying there and here is that as the world observed Jesus, they saw God the Father in action. Even though the fullness of the Father has passed our ability to see and fully comprehend, we see him through his Son, Jesus. To see Jesus was to see the heart of the Father, to see the nature of God lived out among us. And now John is taking that one step further here in this letter. The world will get a glimpse of the Father as they see Jesus in us. No one has seen God at any time, and yet we see him in the Son, and as we see the Son in our lives, the world gets a glimpse of the Father. As we love one another, God abides in us. His character and his nature, they begin to fill our lives, they begin to shape our actions and to flavor our speech. The love of God is perfected or made complete in the way that we live our lives. It's manifested through the way that we interact with one another. And I want to hang out here for a moment. At the start of a new year, we're all thinking about new beginnings, right? As we see the blank slate of a new year in front of us, we're thinking about how it might look compared to the year that just was. I mean, missed opportunities in 21 that we said, I'm not going to miss that chance in 22. Successes from 21 that we'd like to build on as we move into this new year. And this is the perfect opportunity to reestablish the place of the second commandment in our lives. You know, last year, our church tried to make Bible reading and scripture reading a theme to highlight. In some ways, I think we did good at this. In other ways, I think we could have improved. This year, as we move into 22, one of the ideas that we want to weave through all that we're doing as a church is loving one another and loving one another well. These are things that we wanted to deliberately come back to throughout our calendar and through all the different events and the priorities we set as a church. We want to be loving one another well. Now, there are plenty of things that are going on at any church at any given time, but we want a love for God and a love for one another to always be bubbling up to the surface, for this to be a theme that's obvious to see in the things that we prioritize and the way that we shape our different events and different things happening. God has intended for our love for him and our love for one another to be a, a welcome sign to the world around us, inviting the world to see Jesus and our world certainly needs welcome signs at this moment, doesn't it? So often right now, the signs are stay back, no trespassing, stay away. But now we need to reverse that and say God's heart is that we would open our arms and respond to the world around us and share his love. And so we want this to be a theme that we weave through our church, loving our neighbors well. But I also want to make this personal. Loving one another isn't just a corporate activity or a corporate goal that we set for all of us. This is a choice all of us make personally. Like verse 13 says, he has given each of us of his spirit. Each one of us. Not just collectively as a church. Yes, his spirit is among us as a church. 
but his spirit is given to each one of us individually. The spirit of God abides in you, and you can abide in him. This isn't just something that exists for the group. This is something that's for each one of us individually. And so what would it look like if we purpose to make the second commandment a deliberate focus of our upcoming year? A deliberate focus, not something that we're just satisfied to let happen passively, but something that we're determined to be proactive in loving our neighbors as ourselves, to love one another well. If we purpose to do that, how might the world see Jesus through us and by seeing Jesus see the Father? Now, you might be, and I hope you are, already thinking of a few ideas of what this might look like in your own life, but let me just read for us a list of things that Paul puts down in Romans chapter 12. It's a long section, so I'm not going to have it up on the verse, but if you have your Bible, you can flip over to Romans chapter 12, and we'll pick up in verse 9. Romans 12 Verse 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then skip over to chapter 13 and skip down to verse 8. Or Paul continues this idea. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. These are so practical, aren't they? I mean, the whole of God's law, describing our interactions with one another, are summed up in the commandment to love one another. I mean, you think of all the commandments that you might find as you read through the Old Testament that describe and proscribe our our interactions with one another, and they're all summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. This commandment that Paul gives us here and that he repeats for us, it moves from the broad, let love be without hypocrisy, this broad sweeping statement down to the very specific, distribute to the needs of the saints. Someone's without power because a tree limb fell over their power line. Is there a way you can bring them some warm? Can they come over to your place to wash some clothes, to have a meal? 
There's this whole spectrum of ideas that lay in between the specific and the broad. Plenty of ways for us to engage with loving our neighbor well, to bring these things into our lives out of theory and into practice. So as we stand at the beginning of a new year, again, I want to challenge each one of us to look at these verses, read through Romans 12 and 13, and ask God how we might pursue these things right here and right now. As we're making goals for what the new year looks like, we're making things like weight we'd like to lose or maybe how we'd like to invest our finances this year as opposed to last. Places that we'd like to visit, they're on our bucket list. But I wonder how many of us are thinking, I want this to be the year where I let God be my advocate. I don't want to pursue vengeance or justice. I'm going to let God handle my business. Little or big, this will be the year that God is my advocate. I doubt, maybe there are some wonderful saints among us who are thinking that way, but probably most of us are like me thinking, I could probably stand to use, lose a little weight this year. But not many of us are probably thinking, this is the year where I let God be my advocate. This is the year where I let him speak on my behalf. I'm not going to pursue vengeance, but I'm going to let him do that. How many of us are thinking, God, show me the broken this year so I can weep with those who are weeping? Show me those who are rejoicing and fill me with your joy so I could come alongside them and celebrate the good things that you're doing. How many of us are saying, that's what I want for this year to be marked by? I'm sad to say I don't usually think along these terms. I'm usually much more in the passive end. Yeah, if someone bumps into me who's weeping, then hopefully I have this sense of time and space to come alongside them. But how many times do I actually think, I want to be marked by God's proactive love this year, actively seeking out those who need his heart? These are the priorities Jesus sets for us. You know, it's wonderful, again, that love has a, a warm, fuzzy component to us, that, to it, that it has this emotional component to it. But love is so much more a choice that we make. You know, I learned this in a very practical way when we were starting the process of fostering to adopt and we're first meeting our boys. The process is, of course, they, they, you go through the agency, they vet you, they make sure that you're not some wacko and that you're safe, your home is safe, and this is a good setting to bring kids who need a family into that home. And then you go and meet a prospective uh, child or sibling set. And so... Um, Kelly and I were going to go down to Sacramento to meet the boys for the first time, and it felt like the world's weirdest blind date because that whole idea is like maybe, you know, like we're going to end up forever. And you almost think, we almost, I think we went into it with this movie moment in the back of our minds that we're going to see them across the living room. They're going to see us walk in through the door, and we're going to know. We're going to know that our hearts have been knit in a way that we didn't know it was them, but it was them the whole time. And and we got done, and we sat in the car after meeting them and the family where they were living with, and we just looked at one another, and that was so weird. It was the weirdest thing. And in that moment, God reminded us that love was going to be a choice. We expected that we would be struck down by this overwhelming love for them. Like, how could we not love these sweet little boys but we walked out to the car with none of that gobsmacked love, you know, kind of trailing us to the car. We walked out feeling the same way as we did when we walked in. Just, these kids were strangers to us. 
And love started with a choice. Now, thankfully, God has been so gracious to come behind and bring that emotional component, and we love our boys as if they were our own flesh and blood. And he has been so good to provide all the warm fuzzies. But love started with a choice. And as you and I sit at the beginning of a new year, the choice to love one another, the ability to love one another well, to follow that second commandment, to follow the example of Jesus, it starts with a choice. Lord, I want to choose to do these things. I don't want to let them just happen by accident or assume that when my heart is overflowing with warm, fuzzy feelings, then I'll love well. There's a choice that sits in front of each one of us this morning. And so let's do it. Let's grab hold of that choice that's there for us to make this year. And let's ask God to make loving one another a deliberate pursuit of ours this coming year. Not a passive thing, but something that we deliberately pursue and make a priority. Now, as you think about these things and ways to love one another well, our minds can run all sorts of different directions, community outreach that we'd like to do, opportunities for a neighbor, or or any sort of thing kind of spins up in our minds. But I want to encourage you to start in your home. As the kids' song says, we don't want to hide our light under a bushel. We want to let it shine, right? Right? But what use is a light that shines out in the world that doesn't first show at home? If I'm so community-focused, but in my home I'm too busy for my wife, I'm too busy for my kids, I've got my priorities all mixed up. I'm not, I'm not taking care of the first line that God has given me to take care of. Home is the first place for us to show Jesus by loving one another well. And man, this has been so significantly impressed upon me as a dad. I can't live one way out in the world and here at church while living a different life at home, right? Regardless of my role in the church, any dad who thinks they can live one way out in the workplace and out in the world and live another way at home is missing it entirely. My wife and kids will see this duplicity of mine They'll be presented with this ugly, twisted version of Jesus, and I I don't want that to be the case. I need my love for Jesus to start here at home. All those things in Romans chapter 12, being kindly affectionate to one another, giving preference to one another, being patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, all those things, are they present in home, in the home? Start at home. But just as important as those things are for the setting of our homes and our families, it's just as important that they don't stop at our doors. Again, I feel the weight of this as a dad as I'm trying to teach our kids what it means to follow Jesus. Am I showing my family Jesus by the way I'm loving them? And am I showing them that the love that God has for us and the love that we're to have for one another, it extends past our family to the world in which we live? I would hate the idea that my kids grow up thinking the abundant love we're to have for one another is just for our home. This is a family thing. We love our family, but we don't love those around us. And that would be such a failure on my part as a parent if they don't see God's love for this broken world reaching out through us. Like John says here, no one has seen God at any time. But when we love one another well, When we love our neighbors as ourselves, God abides in us and his love is seen through us. Every believer has the spirit abiding in them. 
We each have the capacity for the fruit of the Spirit, love, to be present in our lives. And so let's make that our deliberate aim as we head into a new year. And as we do that, like the verses say, we testify of Jesus within our lives. We invite others to know his love and believe the love that God has for each of them. So verse 17, as he talks about this exchange that love is seen through us and Jesus is seen through our love, he goes on to say, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So again, after talking about how our love reveals God to the world, John weaves back to, remember he's folding these ideas over one another, weaving them back and forth, braiding them together. He weaves back to God's love for us. Again, if we're going to love well, we need to remember how well we're loved. It's that idea we started this morning with. And when we know and believe the love that God has for us, we're able to abide in his love and we're able to let it flow through our lives. Again, but before it flows through our lives, we have to be those who receive it, to really let it settle in. And as the text says here in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. The great love that we described earlier, it starts with him. It was reaching out to us before we even sensed it was there. Before we even sensed our need for it, God was reaching out to us. One of my favorite pictures of God, it's there in the Old Testament, and Paul repeats it in the book of Romans, is that God says, all day long I stretched out my hands to Israel. All day long, I was inviting them into relationship, and they were blind to it. And that's how God is towards us. Before we even knew it, God was stretching out his arms to us. And the moment we turned around, we saw that his arms are already there, open for embrace. Even before we sensed our need, God was loving us. And this has to be one of the most powerful revelations of God's love that there is. That it precedes ours. That it goes before us. That his love is not a response to our behavior, our service, our tithing, our singing, our church attendance, or anything that we might do. God's love is not a response. God, who is rich in love toward us, has always loved us and will always love us. His love is the initiator and the constant. And this is such a freeing truth that you don't have to work hard enough to make God love you right? You don't have to work hard enough to make God love you. He loved you before you even knew he loved you. His love was there before the world began. His love precedes you and pursues you. You can't make God love you more. You can't make him love you less. And this frees us from dead works. It frees us from fear. The more we understand and believe God's love for us, the more we're freed from these things. What a wonderful thing to be freed from fear. Since the fall, since Genesis chapter 3, sin has been twisting our fears, making us afraid of God and doubtful of his goodness. Fear has been twisting us up in all sorts of ways. But just look at these verses. Isn't the heart of God so wonderfully laid out here in 17 through 19? Fear involves torment. 
And it does. We each know that to the core of who we are, that there's torment involved in fear. It twists up our thoughts, twists up our emotions. It wrings us out like a washcloth after washing the dishes. And nothing could be further from the heart and nature of God. That is not God's idea to torment. There is no fear in love. God has been working to dispel our fears from the moment Adam and Eve sinned. What did Adam say when God said, Adam, where are you? He says, I was afraid, so I hid. That's where fear first shows up. God has been speaking truth against the lies of fear ever since Genesis chapter 3. And God has even made, as we see here in our text, a way for us to have boldness in the place where we should be the most fearful, that is the judgment seat for our sins. I tell you, I may not be a fan of heights or snakes or spiders or whatever it is that we might collectively be afraid of, but there should be nothing more fearful to us than the idea of standing before God in our own righteousness. Standing before a perfect holy judge with just us. That's the most fearful thing I can think of. Consumed rightly as I deserve. But in that place that should be the most fearful to us, John says we can have boldness in the day of judgment. Because Jesus has taken all our guilt upon himself. And now because of that, in the place where we should be most afraid, we can come boldly to the throne room. We know that because of Jesus, we can now stand before God clothed in the righteousness that's given to us, a righteousness without spot or even wrinkle. You know, some of us think that we're getting into heaven like an uninvited guest at a wedding. We know we're not supposed to be there. The important people, the bride and groom and their family, they know we're not supposed to be there. But we think if we just keep a low profile... They won't see us, and we won't be found out. You know, we'll just be able to enjoy the food and just kind of snack a little bit here and there. We know it's not truly for us, but if we just keep a low profile, we'll fly under the radar. And we think this way towards heaven. The Bible says I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really fit for that place. That place is for people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. People like me, I'm just going to hang out in the back and keep my head down. Maybe no one will notice I'm there. And we might not literally be thinking those thoughts. That might not actually be the dialogue that's running in our head. But I think if some of us were to pause for a moment, we'd say, yeah, that's actually how I feel. That I don't actually belong in heaven. That I'm getting there because maybe I snuck in while the door was open and no one noticed. And again, that couldn't be further from the heart of God. Look, he says we're to have boldness in the day of judgment. God wants to invite us in. His perfect love speaks against fear here on earth, and it gives us confidence when we see him face to face in heaven. Fear is a liar. Fear is persistent. Fear is opportunistic, jumping on us in our weakest moments. And so we need to own passages like this one so that fear won't rule our hearts and minds. I don't have time to spend all Sunday on these verses. They truly deserve their own time just to unpack this whole idea here. But this is a wonderful thing about reading through the Bible as we go through the year. This is passage that gives us an opportunity to find it on our own time and to meditate on it. So again, I encourage you, take this passage, chew on it. Take some time this week to really reread them and let them sink into your hearts that perfect love casts out fear. 
that God isn't one who torments, but he's one who invites into relationship. And that his love for you predates and precedes your love for him. And then, as he closes out the chapter, John weaves back to our love for one another. Again, you see how these things are kind of braided on top of one another. As we understand God's love for us and speak, uh, speak out of our love for him, how can we not then take it the next step and love one another? John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that we, he who loves God must love his brother also. Great questions to ask. How can we say that we love God and that his love abides in us if it doesn't translate to the peop- uh, love for the people around us? It just doesn't make sense. It's, a, it's a, a disconnect there. How can you and I receive the free and overwhelming gift of God's love and not share it with the people around us? When you and I see the love that God has for us, it only makes sense that that then translates into loving one another well. Like we started, his love is the example and motivation for loving one another. Beloved, as we saw in verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And then as the chapter ends, we come full circle. Loving one another is his commandment to us. It's that second great commandment stated for us. He who loves God must love his brother also. It's a must in that it's a commandment, but it's a must in that it's the natural consequence of it, right? It's the idea of what goes up will naturally fall back down. And the same way, those who have naturally been filled with the love of God will naturally love one another well. It's a law in that it's something for us to follow, and it's a law in that it's something that's a natural consequence like gravity. Those who love God will naturally love one another well. So as you and I sit Again, the threshold of a new year. There are so many things that can shape this upcoming year. Things like COVID remind us that there are a lot of those things that will shape our year outside of our control, but there are plenty of things that remain within our hands, our control. The choice to love one another well is one of those things that rests firmly within our grasp. It's a choice that we get to make this year. And so as we wrap up, let's ask God to make us those who love well. That that would start with a fresh and transformative view of his love for us. And as we understand his love for us, that its natural consequence would be that we love one another well. Drawing concentric circles around our life, at our home, our workplace, the community, and the broader world around us, letting his love grow from our lives. And so let's proactively take his love to the world around us. I'm going to have Lindsay and Nina come back up and lead us in the last song of worship. And as we do that, we're going to close in communion together. Um, If you haven't grabbed communion as they lead us in worship, we're going to take a couple minutes to pause and reflect. And during that song, I invite you to go out to the lobby, grab communion. And we're just going to take a bit of time to hold the elements in our hands and to remember and refresh God's love for us. Right, because the takeaway from this could be you got to go out there and you got to do better at loving the people around you. Be a better dad, be a better husband, be a better this, that, and the next thing. And all right, you've got your marching orders. But that's not the way things are intended to work. Again, the, the start is we remember God's love for us. 
And so as you and I take communion, before we even take that, that tangible reminder of communion together, let's just stop and pause and remember and soak in his good love for us. And then as we do that, we say, okay, how do I take it out from here? What do I do with the love that's been shown to me? And so would you pray with me as we go back into worship? Father, thank you for a love that pursued us, that existed before we even knew we had a need for it. In the moment that we turned and started looking for you, we realized that your arms were open to us already. That you'd been standing there just waiting and inviting us to come, and the moment we turned, you were welcome to receive us. Lord, as we start a new year, would you help your great love for us settle into our hearts and minds in a way that truly transforms us? It's not just a Bible doctrine that we know, it's an experience that we have. It's a truth that resonates deep into into who we are. In a new way, even this morning, help us understand your love for us. I pray it in Jesus' name.